To take your Bibles out, we'd like to read our scripture lessons for today. Our first text is from Isaiah chapter 13. Powerful text. Uh, interesting text. Page 495 in your pew Bible. The text that talks about the day of the Lord and how near it is and all the things and signs that accompany uh, the day of the Lord. So Isaiah chapter 13, we'll read verses 6 through 19. Listen here to God's word. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore all hands will fall limp, and every man's heart will melt. They will be terrified. Pains and anguish will take hold of them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look at one another in astonishment, their faces aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel, with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. <clears throat> For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light, the sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud, and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. I will make mortal man scarcer than pure gold, and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will be shaken from its place, at the fury of the Lord of hosts, in the day of his burning anger. It will be like... It will be that like a hunted gazelle, or like sheep with none to gather them, they will each turn to his own people, and each one flee to his own land. Anyone who is found will be thrust through, and anyone who is captured will fall by the sword. Their little ones will be dashed to pieces before their eyes, their houses will be plundered, and their wives ravished. Behold, I am going to stir up the Medes against them, who will not value silver or take pleasure in gold, and their bows will mow down the young men. They will not even have compassion on the fruit of the womb, nor will their eye pity children. In Babylon, the beauty of kingdoms, the glory of the Chaldeans' pride, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Amen. Our gospel lesson is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. This is John the Baptist, the beginning of his ministry. Listen here to God's word. <clears throat> now in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair, and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. <clears throat> then Jerusalem was going out to him in all Judea, and all the district around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bring fru therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. 
Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Amen. And our primary text today is from Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. We're preaching our way through Revelation. We come to the sixth seal of the booklet that was in the hand of God that the Lamb is opening up. So we'll see part of what happens with the sixth seal today. Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. Listen here again to God's word. I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the commanders, and the rich, and the strong, and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Amen. We'll take just a few moments to bow our heads and silently meditate upon God's word, which we've read. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you're our Father, that we can call you that name and call out to you. Thank you, Lord God, that you have authority over us. You have responsibility that you exercise. So, Lord, you've promised that you'd feed us, that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness would be satisfied. Oh, Lord God, we call out to you. Help us, feed us, nurture us, fill us with your joy, your truth, your goodness, all the things of God. We desire to be yours completely. So work now in us this day through your preached and read word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It was 8 a.m., on May the 18th, 1980. The fellow's name was Harry Truman. <coughs> now you know by the date that it wasn't Harry Truman the president. This man had been named for Harry Truman the president. And Harry Truman was at a lodge on Spirit Lake in Washington State, about five miles north of Mount St. Helens. Warnings had been issued because uh, geologists and other folks had uh, detected strange rumblings underneath the Mount St. Helens, and they said it's going to blow soon. And they encouraged all the way, you know, all, all around, sort of miles and miles and miles, to be evacuated. Harry Truman refused. The police came to get him and escort him off. He says, no. He laughed at this. He says, we've heard these things before all along. I'm staying here. Nothing's going to happen. I'm all right. Uh, at 8.31 a.m., May 18, 1980, Mount St. Helens exploded. Everything within 150 square miles was flattened in a matter of seconds. 
nothing of Harry Truman was ever found. It happened in an instant. Today, we're preaching from Revelation 6, 12 through 17. And that particular section of Scripture presents a sad reality. And the sad reality is this. Some people refuse to heed the message of the gospel. John the Baptist was sent. His message was, repent and believe in Christ. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's why you should do this. God is at hand. The essential meaning of his message, by the way, Jesus had the same message. His first words he preached were, repent and believe. The essential message is this. You are fallen. You're a fallen creature, and you sin both consciously and unconsciously. And you are held guilty for every sin, known and unknown, that you commit. And you will be punished because God is just. God is fair. Therefore, you will be punished. In light of that, acknowledge this reality. That is your guiltiness, your, (coughs) excuse me, sinfulness. And accept the gift of God. Receive forgiveness, renewal, and restoration. He goes on and tells the Pharisees and Sadducees who've come and responded. He says, if indeed there's been repentance and belief, there will be fruit in your life. The fruit of repentance will be evident, will be there. So here's the point. There will be judgment. All who have lived ever will be subject to it. Now, Revelation 6, 12 through 14, what's happening? The sixth seal is being opened. Well, the sixth seal of what? We have people here who've not been here for the rest of us. I thought I'd better make sure you know what the, the seals are. It's that scroll that's held in the hand of the one who sits on the throne that no one was worthy to open, that only the Lamb of God, who's the Lion of Judah, he's the only one who was worthy to open it. And we said that that scroll represents the will and purpose of God for all his creation. And uh, it's being unfolded, it's being opened up, seal by seal. It depicts broadly what will happen throughout history. We did the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which we said are the four horsemen of reality. There will always be conquerors, there will always be wars, there will always be pestilence, there will always be death. Those things go out. They're continual. There will always be martyrs. That's the fifth seal. Now the sixth seal says there will be judgments. They will be real, and we we read it, we'll look at it closer. Uh, It will be real, but here the, the sixth seal is open, it represents if you would, the, it depicts broadly the judgments of God, the day of the Lord that happens regularly down through history. 
Now, don't worry. Revelation in due time will get very specific. We'll talk about Jerusalem, the day when it was written. What's going on there? But this, this unfolding of the, of the scroll is a general, broad perspective of world history in light of God's will and purpose, okay? And part of God's will and purpose will include judgment that's awful, that's terrible, that you don't want to be under at all. And if you don't know that, you don't know the will and purpose of God. That's why it's unsealed. That's why God gave it to John to, to see, to tell the churches there in, in Asia, the, you know, in Turkey there, and to us down through the ages. Now, so what happens in John 6, 12 through 14? What happens is called decreation. God tears things down in judgment. Uh, says there are great earthquakes. Let me put the first one up here from Isaiah chapter 13. We read Isaiah 13 today. Great earthquakes. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken in its place at the fury of the Lord of hosts in the day of his burning anger. This same language is used throughout scriptures to talk about judgments that come on the earth from God. It uses the language of earthquakes. I, I read this from Isaiah 13 because it's there. If we had enough time, I could go on and list and list and list and list. So what it says there in Revelation 6, 12 through 14, talks about earthquakes. Well, yes, that says God's judgment is coming. It also speaks about the sun, the moon, and the stars, the celestial phenomenon. What we have about at 1310, I think is the next one. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. And again, you'll see plenty of other places in Scripture where that same language is used. And it talks about God's judgment when it comes. It, that's one of the characteristics of it. The stars, the constellations will not shine. The moon will be dark. The, the sun will be out of there. Uh, it won't get off its light. That's part of the characteristic of the judgment of God. Then it talks about the sky splitting apart. And we have a passage here from Isaiah 34. Uh, and all the hosts of heaven will wear away, and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll, and all their hosts will also wither away like as the leaf withers from the vine. For my, sword is for my sword is satiated in heaven. Behold, it shall descend for judgment upon Edom. There's the particular land of Edom that's being talked about. But the same language is used. Do you understand? <clears throat> So the language that we read about it in, in Revelation 6 is not unique to that. It's in line with all kind of language that's been used for millennia in the Scriptures by God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It says that the mountains and islands are going to be moved and upset. Now, <coughs> the selection I chose here is from Psalm 46. It's much more familiar to most of you, but it, it, it's sort of like the song that we sang this morning uh, talks about this. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should, be, should change, though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake in its swelling pride, the nations made an uproar, the kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice, the earth melted. Right? And how does Psalm 46 end? Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. You know? So this is language that always bespeaks the judgment of God. And so this passage from Revelation, this unsealing un, un, of the sixth seal, says this is something that's true 
all down through human history, God brings his day to bear on nations and people. Now, Isaiah 13, I chose that. You can take that down now. Isaiah 13, I chose because it's an exemplar of that. It's a good example of that. Uh, The language is symbolic. So let's consider the celestial part. Sun, moon, and stars. Why is that always used? Because sun, moon, and stars represent authority from God. Okay? You need to know that. So here's, we'll, we'll go back to the very beginning. Genesis 1.14 says this. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let it be for signs and for seasons, for days, and for years. Now that's all true. Our whole lives, all of our lives are ordered by that reality. God sets the sun and the moon there, and uh, years are ordered by that, days are ordered by that. They're the authority of that. Uh, And their primary goal is to separate light from darkness, one season from another. Now, their governing authority is seen in verse 16, which says this, God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. So from the very beginning, celestial signs, that is the sun, moon, stars, are representative of governance. We sing the the hymn, uh, the stars in their courses run and all that. What's the one? It's Isaac Watts. I can't think of it now. Uh, Bless, it's not bless the Lord of my soul. But anyway, it talks about this. We all believe this. We understand this, that things are ordered by God. We don't change the course of that. God, it governs and and governs how we live. Now, verse 17 of chapter 1 of Genesis says this, God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. I would suggest to you that in in, in seed form, that represents what all human authority under God is supposed to do, is to give light. Authority is to give light, because all authority comes from God. God is light. He brings light to us by His Word, by His truth, by His laws. And they're, they're put up there to give light on the earth. Authorities ought to give light. They ought to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness, to make a distinction. What's light? What's darkness? What's good? What's evil? Those things authorities should stand for, should represent, should speak, should teach, should enforce. <clears throat> now, <laughs> I have three minutes. <clears throat> And I have a lot more to do. But we're not going to get done in three minutes, just so you're, you're sure. Think of this. Remember Joseph in, in uh, Genesis, he has his dreams. First, he, he sees sheaves of wheat, and then he sees stars, right? He sees stars. He's a star, and his brothers are stars. What are his parents? Sun and the moon. That's right. Because they're the authorities over their, their kids. But the sun and the moon bow down to his star. But all through Scripture, you'll see that the sun, the moon, and the stars represent authorities. Governing. Supposed to be governing rightly. They govern whether they govern right, rightly or not. That's another issue. Now, <clears throat> the day of the Lord is near. This is what it says in Isaiah 13, 6. Behold, I'm going to 
Go back one from there, Clinton. Huh. Well, I left here. I'll read it to you. Isaiah 13, 6 says, says this. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Uh, the day of the Lord is the term that we tend to think of, well, that's the final coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, no, certainly it is that. We'll get to that in due time. <clears throat> but it stands for all down through history, there's been days of the Lord that have come upon nations, upon peoples, upon individuals. And uh, the same language, the day of the Lord, is used by Ezekiel, Joel, Hosea, etc. The day of the Lord. And it's referring to something that happens in time. Now, Isaiah 13 is clear. Put the next one up, the ones 16 and 17 that you had there, uh, Clinton. It tells us what it refers to. It tells us what that day of the Lord refers to there. It says, behold, I'm going to stir up the Medes, that is, the the country of the Medes, going to come and they're going to, against them, and Babylon, the beauty of kingdoms, the glory of the Chaldeans' pride, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. One thinks of Isaiah 10, where the prophet, God speaking through the prophet, says that <clears throat> he used Assyria as the rod of his anger to bring judgment upon Israel. He'll do that. So these are, these are this is language that's right and good. Uh, <clears throat> all such judgments point to, foretell, should make us be certain about there will be a great final judgment, which no one can escape. Nation or people will be a final judgment. It points to that. We should know that. Now then, uh, while my voice, but the Lord saying, John, shut up. (laughs) I said, okay, in a minute. (laughs) Uh, How about the last 15 through 17? What's happening there? Uh, If we read that, we'll see that all are being judged. The entirety of the culture is being judged. There are seven categories of Individuals mentioned kings, great men, commanders, rich, strong, slave, and free. That says any strata of society that you go to, all will be judged. All, doesn't matter. Doesn't what your station in life is, with higher, or lower, somewhere in between, all will be judged. And all who reject God's assessment of themselves and his offer of <clears throat> forgiveness, restoration, will pay the penalty. <clears throat> no one's left out. No one can stand, it says. And so what do they do in the light of this impending judgment that they see now? All of a sudden it's broken onto them. It's like Harry Truman. <laughs> you know, it's 8.30, things are coming. Whoa! What do you do now? It's too late. They seek to hide. They said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from what? From the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. They want to hide from that. Does that stir things in your mind? Do you remember who else tried to hide from God when they had sinned? Maybe the very first sinners, Adam and Eve, right? They tried to hide themselves from God, from the presence, from the face of the Lord, because they were guilty. And so those under judgment will always do that. <clears throat> and from the wrath of the Lamb. 
There's that oxymoron. How can that be? How can a lamb have wrath? That's God. That's God. The wrath of the lamb. And it's a fearful, fearful thing. If there's something you want to be afraid of and don't fall substitute, don't be subject to the the wrath of the lamb. Now, it says from the presence of of those guys. I'd like for us to uh, put up... Clinton, if you were the last one that I have there, Psalm 16, 11, it says, in your presence is what? Fullness of joy. Hallelujah. These folks have no notion of that. They would say, in your presence is great fear. Oh, no. Right? For us, in your presence is fullness of joy. Hallelujah. They don't experience that at all. Did you know there's no boasting in hell? And here, I'm going to correct a a big misconception that lots of people have, and you probably have as well. The devil does not rule in hell. Who rules in hell? God does. Devil doesn't rule there. He's punished and put there, not to rule, but to suffer punishment and judgment. Lake of fire, etc. <clears throat> All he wants us to do is to be miserable with him. No one jumps into hell. Everyone must be cast into hell. It's a fearful, fearful, bad place to be. Don't go there. <clears throat> Now, this sort of judgment that's mentioned here in this unsealing of the sixth seal has happened repeatedly throughout history. We saw in Isaiah 13 where it came upon Babylon. Uh, You'll see Jeremiah at the end of his prophecy, he has all these different nations that he prophesies God's judgment about. It's happened all the time. You know, it, it may well happen soon to us in America. You know, our authorities, do they separate light and darkness? They've confused them. They've begun to put darkness instead of light. The sun's starting to be darkened, right? People are confused. <coughs> Those are not good signs. Those are ill omens for our land. That's why we're going down to Washington, D.C. on Friday, just a little voice in, repent, turn back, don't do what you've been doing. So, some applications for us. I have four, 20 minutes each. First one's be patient. No, no, no. (laughs) Second one's be forgiving. No, 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 not that either. Number one, no know that this world is passing away. That which will last forever is not of this world. We should live like that, like we know that this world is passing away. We're here to use this as good as all that, but this world ultimately will not last, nor anything in it. Number two, God's final judgment is anticipated through historical acts that he brings to pass in history. 
the Medes doing the thing to Babylon. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar doing the deed to Israel. Know that God's final judgment is anticipated and foreshadowed through historical acts. Number three, the bottom line is this. How do you, or anyone around you, how do you respond to God and his call? The call is still the same, repent and believe. How many things must you know that you may live and die in the blessedness of God's comfort? First one's this, the greatness of my sin and wretchedness. If you don't know that, you cannot know the comfort God brings. And number four, we need not fear this sad reality. We haven't covered all that was unveiled with the unsealing of the sixth uh, seal. Next week, we do all of chapter seven. We'll see there's something different for the people of God. We need never fear that judgment if we're on the other side. There's a sad reality to life, to human existence, to world history. We need to be aware of that sad reality and ask God to deliver us from it, to renew us and restore us to a right relationship with Him, that we might live for Him, that we might delight in His presence, for in His presence is fullness of joy. That's the best reality. Amen.